Jazz win the opener. Rudy and Jim Peterson to talk Wolves. He's the analyst for Bally Sports North. He joins the program on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Open's going to be about my NBA Finals pick. Let's you know where I'm at, where I think the season is going, and you can use it against me at the end of the year. And it works out for everybody. But today's a funny day for me to unveil who I think will go to the Finals, because... Wednesday. I think the Nuggets are going to make it out of the West. And how hilarious was Wednesday for somebody that picks that? It wasn't close. They rubber banded in the third quarter. Jokic was electric for about a five-minute stretch. And then the Jazz kept it. Jazz kept their advantage and won the game. It was an amazing building. It was unreal to watch the level of energy that was bouncing off the walls in that building because not only did somebody like Jared Vanderbilt show it, fouled out, but he grabbed 12 rebounds, 7 points. He was active and doing it in a new shirt. But the crowd responded by giving that team an ovation in the first half. The way they played is what this season's all about. Little wins, finding player development, seeing moments of bright spots, seeing Walker Kessler get out on the floor as Kelly Olenek, Jared Vanderbilt, get into foul trouble, and you ask a rookie on opening night to guard an MVP or play against an MVP. There are times where he wasn't matched on him because how can you ask a rookie to guard the most unique player in the NBA? Can't do it. But the win was he looked like an NBA player. He was battling for 50-50s with Michael Porter Jr. That's what it's all about. It was wild in there. And it shows jazz fans appreciate good basketball, want to see good basketball, and will respond to good basketball. Because that's how Utah played. Will Hardy pointed to this in the post-game press conference. I thought it was a huge moment on the floor. Colin Sexton, he takes the MVP on one-on-one. This is probably a clip that you've seen a thousand times on Twitter because Rob Perez pulled it out. Everybody pulled it out. So he scores on one end. And then on the other, charge going the other way. Run over by Jokic. And who popped up? Who was hooting and hollering on the sideline? Will Hardy in a crew neck sweater. And that's what this team's about. They played like a maniac. That's what Will Hardy called Colin Sexton post-game. He's a maniac. Team was a maniac. And I'm shocked that I'm surprised by seeing a team with players who are fighting for their place in the league play so hard. But it really shouldn't be shocking. They're all wanting to improve their stature. It's about figuring out the hierarchy, who can make the rotation, what Will Hardy's head is at, impressing a new head coach. That was huge. And while even sitting on press row, where you could be a little anodyne to the proceedings and you're taken away from being right in the thick of things, when it's a loud crowd in the Jazz Arena, it permeates. It permeated on Wednesday. So that's why I'm picking the Nuggets. 
I was impressed. I thought, hmm, I trust this group. But in reality, the reason why I'm picking up is I'm betting on their health. I am. Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon only saw 117 minutes of them playing on the floor when Denver went in on that trade to get Gordon. They have a microwave score off the bench in Bones Highland. Bruce Brown's going to be a nice punch, an option. He had a Bruce Brown cut in the game Wednesday. And I figured the other teams in the West, those powers, they're aging out. Warriors are too old. The Clippers have no point guard. Same problem I had with them a couple years ago. They have no point guard. And as much as the playmaking comes from point guard PG, he's not my guy. He's not my guy, pal. And when you look at the West, some combination of two of these teams is going to be in the plan. And they're good teams. Listen to the top eight in the Western Conference. It's the Wolves. It's the Nuggets. It's the Warriors. It's the Suns. Clippers. Grizz. Pels. Mavericks. Two of those teams is going to be in the plan. Do you know which two? I'm not sure. It's going to be competitive out west. And leading the competition charge is the Nuggets and the Wolves, who Jazz fans will see in the first two games. In the East, it's Milwaukee, a team that I thought would win the championship last year if they had Chris Middleton. Boston needed Game 7 Grant Williams to bail them out, and he did. They got to the finals. Major improvement is getting Malcolm Brogdon onto that team. But I don't think they're a match for the best leader in the entire NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's a lot of the same parts. They're relying on a lot of the same players. But if I'm betting on health with the Nuggets, I'll bet on health with Milwaukee. Once Joe gets back, his, his role will be simplified. Hit your threes, play make a little bit, and you'll be good. It's not clear cut. I think it's the joy of the NBA the last couple of years. You haven't had true favorites in either conference that have been it and the only picks. 76ers are in vogue. People are picking the Clippers. Not this guy. That's my pick for the finals. By all means, make fun of me for picking the Nuggets after Wednesday's performance. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. I got Jim Peterson. Wolves analyst on Bally Sports North, a delight to talk to because he is all league pass, one of the top at his game. I remember watching him, Jazz Wolves, last season, and he was ranting and raving about Rudy Gobert on defense. It's not just limited to him homerizing the Wolves. He's doing it for both sides. He appreciates hoop. He is a knower of ball, and he joins the podcast. Stick around towards the end for John Stockton's story for the old heads, but enjoy the front because we talk about Rudy and his effect on a team and how it's going to help Minnesota, a squad that I hope figures it out because I want good things for Rudy. It'll be emotional to see him on the other side, having spent his formative years here. Now he's on a new team be weird. Weird to see him. Not wearing the jazz colors. But so is life in the NBA. Here he is, Jim Peterson on Round Ball Roundup. 
finding him on passes on those first couple possessions? Is that exactly what you want out of Rudy in his first game with the team? Uh, I think it, I think it is. I think that you know, Jazz fans that saw the box score or were watching the game just to see how Rudy did in his first game. I think that what they saw was more of what they saw when Rudy was in Utah. I mean, Rudy, uh, we don't win that game if Rudy Gobert isn't on on the squad. You know, he was so efficient from the field. You know, ten of fifteen for Rudy, um, and you know his shot chart's not complicated as you know, JP. It's all pretty much inside that restricted area. And, um, you know, the high rebound rate against, you know, 16 rebounds in the game, seven of them offensive. And the way that he was altering shots, he only had one block in the game, but he had to have altered eight others. Um, and so it's just, it's just, you know, that's why Tim Connolly, you know, when, when, and this is what Chris Finch was saying too, JP, is that, you know, at the, during the summer, uh, you know, before the draft, they just put 30, the 30 best players up on the board and they look to see, um, you know, which ones were available and players in that category don't come open. They aren't available most of the time. And there are names on that list that you couldn't trade enough players to get them. I don't think that Dallas would, would part with Luca, you know, um, and I think there's, there's a handful of guys that are untouchable. And then there's guys that come available in rebuild situations. And so, when you get a chance to get one of those guys and, you know, Minnesota is not a destination, so you're not going to necessarily get them in, in free agency. So the, the, one of the reasons why the deal was, was so big and so eye popping was that, you know, to get an all NBA center, the quality of Rudy Gobert was, was just too hard to pass up. And, you know, talking with Chris Finch, he was on board right away and excited about the opportunity and Chris Finch is an offensive genius. You know, you guys saw it for years with Quinn Snyder, Chris Finch. Um, he's just, he's just an innovator. You know, he's been playing, you know, spread the floor five out, drawn kick game, shooting threes, playing with pace. Um, I call it fast and free. That's the way Chris Finch wants to play. He wants his players to play fast and free. And so I think people were just head scratching when the Gobert trade happened, because it's kind of antithetical how the NBA is going now to put, to put two bigs together. But it's not just any two bigs. You're talking about the best shooting big in the NBA, in Carl Anthony Towns, and the most dominant defensive player of his generation and uh, lob threat inside, you know, shooting 72% field goal percentage um, in the form of Rudy Gobert. So Chris Finch, he, he accepted the challenge. He wanted it. Um, he's, I think, I think he's smart enough and that we have the personnel now to be able to accentuate and play both of them together. So we're really excited here. I looked it up because I wanted to see, oh, is he still affecting shots of the rim? Clean the glass had it 50% for OKC on shots at the rim. Pretty good yeah. def defensive impact. If you're looking at what Rudy Gobert does, what is it, the response from, Carl Anthony Towns, because there was a great John Krasinski story in The Athletic about there was a rivalry between those two players. And now that they're on the same team, how are they responding towards the challenge of playing next to each other? Well, be honest, you know, these, these uh, high-level players are competitive by nature. And Carl Anthony Towns has a, a thing with Joel Embiid. He's got a thing with... with uh, Jokic as well. Whenever we play Denver, Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns, and I think 
sometimes if, if you were to ask them, they feel like it's more one-sided, like they aren't necessarily in competition with Carl as much as Carl is with them. Uh, I think Jokic kind of gets a kick out of it. Um, and Jokic has been pretty dominant against in terms of winning games. Carl has actually won the statistical battle, but um, Jokic has the wins. Um, but with Gobert, you know, Carl's been able to win a lot of those matchups statistically too because of the pick and pop factor. Like Gobert just couldn't get out to towns and so much so that Quinn uh, devised another way of playing against towns and that's the spy Rudy concept. You know, um, you think about how Quinn and this is uh, something that they do with Robert Williams in Boston too. They they take him off the five and they put him just as the low man in their, in their defensive concept and and so Rudy would guard against us. He would guard Josh Okogie. So, so Quinn would put Rudy on the worst shooter and just have him be the low man. And then like, you know, he's not out there having to chase towns around. And so that was one of the counters that Quinn, you know, smartly kind of switched up. But when Carl, uh, when the trade was happening, Carl made the statement that um, getting Rudy Gobert wasn't on his bingo card this summer. He didn't, he didn't really anticipate that one happening. But, you know, the thing about it is that these guys want to win. And so when you get an all-NBA center, all, uh, you know, all-defensive all player, um, you, you think about three-time all-star, three-time defensive player of the year um, who is an all-NBA center, how do you not want that guy on your team? So uh, Towns is going gonna, is gonna to make it work. And you saw early yesterday, Carl had seven assists in the first half. A lot of those were drives lob dunks to Rudy, uh, interior passes. Um, they did it in, in the game against Brooklyn, too, in the exhibition season. So, you know, Carl's needed that um, that that extra support because Carl defensively, I mean, you know a lot about pick-and-roll concepts. So, you know, obviously Rudy's a drop coverage pick-and-roll guy. Carl um, Anthony Towns is not a drop coverage pick-and-roll guy. He, uh, he gets cooked a lot in pick-and-roll coverage. Ryan Saunders, when he was here, Tibbs, I think, you know, they had a lot of different concepts under Tibbs, but to play Carl in the drop isn't um, sort of helping our defense. And so what Chris Finch did last year was to get Carl up at the level of the screen to redirect the ball handler. And then we used low man to come and help on the roller. And so, you know, Utah wouldn't play that way. Utah plays drop coverage. So the Wolves have to now deploy two concepts. They've got to deploy one for Carl when he's on the floor, high wall. Uh, hedging out and then they have to also deploy the the drop which plays to Rudy's strength so um, to be able to have both of those in in your holster um, I think is 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 good players will adjust they'll they'll be able to toggle back and forth between the concepts right so um, but you know Rudy Rudy already has paid dividends already in game one I mean it was just so fun to watch him just protect that rim and intimidate OKC and um, we don't win that game without Rudy Gobert. What was the reception from the fans? Because he, he was little, beloved. He, well, when he went out of the game last night, they gave him a standing ovation. So, I mean, the, the you know, the basketball fans, uh, you know, basketball NBA fans are, are savvy, you know, for the most part. You go from arena to arena. I think that um, NBA fans are, are pretty savvy about the game. And, and more than anything else, I think that at the end of the day, even if you don't know anything about basketball, you can sense when somebody plays hard. And that's something that Rudy does. You know, Rudy plays hard. And that's one thing that Chris Finch has really gotten this team to do, too. That's one of the reasons why we made the playoffs last year was that, you know, he really got our guys to play hard. And 
uh, Rudy just fits that mold perfectly. How do you think the league is going with playing bigger? Because I look at Cleveland, they're playing two bigs. Minnesota, they've got their bigs. Here in Utah, they're starting to go bigger with Laurie Markkinen, Kelly Olynyk, and Jared Vanderbilt, somebody you're very familiar with. Like, and Walker Kessler. And Walker Kessler, who is yeah. uh, on his third team as a rookie. <laughs> you know, yeah. Memphis, Minnesota here. Yeah. Uh, the league, it's starting to get a little bit bigger rather than just everybody playing one way or homogeneously. Boston plays big. You know, you think about Robert Williams and Al Horford, um, even Grant Williams, you know, sometimes playing the three. I mean, Grant Williams, what he was able to do against Kevin Durant last year uh, in the in, in the playoffs, um, the way that he defended Durant was unbelievable. So Boston's bigger. I mean, we played Memphis in the playoffs last year. You know, they play Steven Adams and they play Jaron Jackson together. That's a That's a pretty formidable big lineup as well. Um, so I got to tell you, JP, there's a lot of guys that are my size that are hoping that this town's, uh, go bear experiment works because I think that, you know, we're kind of seeing the phasing out of, of traditional bigs, you know? And so there's a lot of people that are, have a, a vested interest in this thing working. <laughs> you and big T both. <laughs> tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Trust. I asked yeah. this of Craig Kilborn when he was on the podcast. That's my saying, mean? by the way. He got it from me. Well, then explain <laughs> what Craig Kilborn tried to on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Chris Finch, you know, we started off four and, four and nine last year. We did not have a good start to the season. And, you know, Finchy, like his first year when he took over for Ryan Saunders, one thing that I saw, um, um, he comes in. You know, the way he was hired, there was kind of a firestorm, right? So Gerson Rosas lets Ryan Saunders go. And basically that same night hired Chris Finch from Toronto. And there wasn't much of a, a process, um, so to speak, a quote unquote process once Ryan was let go. But Gerson Rosas knew Chris Finch from before because Chris Finch had, had coached the Rio Grande Valley Vipers and Gerson was the, the general manager of that team. And so he knew Chris Finch. And then Chris Finch was on the bench in Houston with Kevin McHale. And Finch has gone around now. And he, you know, he he leaves Houston, he goes to Denver, then he was in New Orleans with Alvin Gentry. And then um, you know, he goes to Toronto with Nick Nurse. And you know, Chris Finch and Nick Nurse are very close because they they coached in the British Basketball League for years and they competed against each other. In fact, they coached the British national team together. And then Nick Nurse also, uh, coincidentally, took over for Chris Finch with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. So the Finch-Nick Nurse relationship is very important to the, the mythology of both of those guys, of both of them. And um, and so when, when Finchie took over, you know, he'd been a head coach 
from the time he played, he transitioned to coach the same Sheffield Sharks team that he played for and was a head coach. So he's got all this experience. And then he told me that his coaching experience with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers was incredibly important to his development as a coach to coach in the NBA, because it's one thing to coach, you know, in the European league, he coached in Belgium as well uh, to coach European teams, to play in a European style, but to coach NBA players that have real life off the court NBA problems um, gives you a sort of a, uh, a look into how to manage people. And so Finch has had a lot of experience in fixing things and fixing problems when they come up. And invariably when you're a coach, um, you're going to have players that have personal problems. You're going to have players that have physical problems. You're going to have players that, um, you know, don't get along with each other. You're going to have things that come up on the court strategy wise that need to be fixed. And so Finch has just had this knack of being able to, when a problem comes up during the course of the season, which whether it's your pick and roll coverage or ball movement or, um, you know, play sets, whether it's um, communicating with guys to get them to play hard, which is something that he got them to do. Um, he, he's always, he's always fixed problems. And so the thing I said uh, when I heard that Chris Finch was on board with Rudy Gobert, um, I said, look, I'm going to rely on the fact that Chris Finch is going to figure this out. I trust Chris Finch and in Finch, we trust, you know, that's, that's kind of where he's, he's proven himself now um, to me that he's got that Quinn Snyder ability. Uh, Cause you know, Quinn was, was such a great tactician, right? I mean, um, they're different in terms of style. Cause I think that Quinn likes a very um, predictable execution sort of, he, I think he's a little more, I don't want to say rigid, but you know, he's, he's got more rules. I think when it comes to how they want to play offensively um, with Finch, he's got guardrails, he's got rules, but he wants to give players freedom. And that's why I say fast and free. We led the league in pace last year. So Finchy, you know, we played fast. We shot threes. We led the league in, in makes and takes. Um, um, and also, we also led the league in, in points off turnovers. So, you know, when when our pick and roll coverage didn't work, when drop coverage was not good, he came up with the concept, he and his staff, of playing high wall, which is completely different of how Carl Anthony Towns has played. So there's an example of how he changed the system to fit the personnel to make it work and be to have success. So in Finch, we trust, you know, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's shown that he's got the ability to adjust, you know, and to, and to, and to, and to do it with the personnel that he has, like, he doesn't have like this set idea of how he wants to play. He's like a high school coach, right? Like high school coaches are always changing their personnel. You got guys graduating and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have any size anymore. You don't have shooting anymore, or you have a lot of shooting. And so you've got to tailor your system to the players you have. And that's what Finch does in such a genius way. And Rudy has proven himself to be a truly great regular season player. Amazing. And what happened in the playoffs is not an indicative of him. It's perimeter defense falling every single time that they ran into the wall in the playoffs. How does Anthony Edwards help out alleviating the burden on the two big stars that Minnesota already has? 
Well, it's it's a good question. Um, I think that um, for D'Angelo Russell, um, he's got the hardest job because uh, D'Lo has to still hunt offense, but he's but Chris Finch is trying to get him to move the ball and to get other people involved. And so, when you're talking about other people, I think I think you know Anthony Edwards is is one of the main people that he's talking about when you're saying get other people involved because Ant. Can disappear in games sometimes and you know he did not have a particularly good game last night you know i think that when you look at at his line i mean ant was four of 17 he missed five layups in the game he missed three wide open threes so uh he was you know four of 17 in the game and he just never really found a rhythm and so it's kind of up to d'angelo to get ant into the flow when ant is um is pressing he tends to settle for long jump shots and also um he tends to press a little bit more uh offensively so he looks to maybe not move the ball as much he plays in isolation so you know when you're a coach and you have a talent like talented player like anthony edwards you got to give them a little more leeway it's just like um you know with donovan mitchell i think that you've got to give donovan mitchell he's the kind of player that needs a little more leeway to play in isolation you'd like to move the ball and have everybody touch it and and change sides of the floor and all of that but um, those great players, you kind of give them a little bit longer leash to be able to create. And so Finch does that with Anthony Edwards. Um, I think that Ant, the, one of the um, next frontiers for him, uh, forget about the defensive side of the ball. I mean, being a better team defender is something you want him to grow at. He's gotten to be a better individual defender, but the next frontier for him is to be more of a playmaker. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where Ant collapses the defense so much because so many people are trying to stop him from getting in the paint. He's got to have that ability to make other people better. And so he he's never played with a player like Rudy Gobert. And so when the defense collapses, Ant has got to find that knack of being able to throw it up and let Rudy go get it, you know? And uh, that's why I say it's going to probably take, some people will catch on faster. I think Towns really wants to make it work. That's why that's why he's always looking for Rudy. When, when Towns gets into post-ups and Rudy's a cutter, Carl's going to find him. When Carl plays off the catch in the middle of the floor and he drives the lane and Rudy's standing in the dunker, Carl's going to, Carl's going to find him. He's just that talented. Um, it's going to take players like Anthony Edwards a little bit longer to figure out how to play with Rudy Gobert. What was the lob stat for Minnesota last year? They weren't throwing as many lobs as Rudy has caught in the last look, couple of years. Look, JP, I've been with the team for 25 years. And so I, when I started, Kevin Garnett was three years into his career. Okay, so that's how long I've been, <laughs> I've been with this with this team, and in the league as a broadcaster. Um, we've never really had a lob threat in in our entire history of a team. I I can't think of a single lob dub threat. Vando uh, was somewhat of one. I think you know, uh, D'Angelo Russell did a nice job of of working with with Vando. Like one of the things you're seeing from Vando already, I'm sure, is that. He's so good at slipping out of uh, – he gets in and gets out of ball screens really fast. And so, like, in transition, <clears throat> if he's going to set a drag screen and somebody either on the wing or in the middle of the floor, I mean, Vando gets in and gets out. And 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 so D'Lo would just throw it up to Vando and he'd throw it home. So, you know, the lob dunk thing has not been something Minnesota fans have been used to. But they're going to get used to it real quick here now with Rudy Gobert. Since you mentioned him, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley – Leandro Balmaro, Walker Kessler, that, those are the players that came in the yeah. trade. You mentioned a little bit of Vanderbilt's game. But what should Jazz fans 
get ready for themselves for the other players that came alongside in the Rudy Gobert acquisition? Malik Beasley is someone that I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, the Timberwolves had something happen last year that uh, has never happened in league history. The Wolves had three players average eight three-point attempts or more. So Russell, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Anthony Edwards, and Malik Beasley all averaged eight or more three-point attempts. And so what Malik did was, you know, after a slow start, he kind of just keeps sticking with it. He's a, a tireless worker. He works on his craft. Like he's he's in the gym all the time working on his, on his shot. Um, he's got an incredibly quick release. He is going to be able to let it fly from outside the arc. And he, and he uh, was deadly. Um, he set a franchise record last year. Anthony Edwards hit 11 threes in a game against Denver. And then I forget what game it was. I, I think uh, Malik ended up having, I think he ended up having 13 in the game. I have to go back and look that one up, but he actually broke Ant's record that Anna just said set a few weeks before. And so Malik can score in bunches. He's uh, he's not a guy that's going to put the ball in the deck a lot and get to the room and get to the free throw line. He's not, he doesn't have a high free throw rate. He's not a guy that has this incredible handle where he's going to, you know, wow you with his ball handling ability to get to the rim, but he can catch and shoot and he's got great footwork and he knows where his sweet spots are. And he's a big shot maker too. So um, that's something to look forward to big time from him with Balmaro. Um, Leo's one of those guys He's Argentinian. And so um, Pablo Prigioni is on our coaching staff. And Pablo, of course, is one of those great Argentinian basketball players. And Leo is one of those guys, because he works his tail off, JP, um, he is going to be a fan favorite. You're always pulling for him, you know? And so his ability to make shots, I think that's something he's got to improve. But he's going to hang his hat uh, with play, with being able to play hard, which is a skill, you know? Uh, uh, I think that that is something that like when you look at a player that plays like him, you just always pull for him because he's got his heart on his sleeve. He's, he's giving maximum effort um, offensively. He's not the most gifted player in the world, but he can get it done. He can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. Um, he's um, he's got the ability to be um, like a Manu Ginobili in terms of the power with which he, he gets into the paint. So um, the question for him is, is, is he going to be able to make open shots? And that, you know, at the very least in this league, you've got to be able to make open shots. So can he make open shots at a level that will keep him on the floor? Because um, defensively is going to be his calling card, but he's going to stay on the floor if he can just get to a league average number, you know, for from three-point range. So, um, you know, I, I love I love all those guys. They all helped us win last year. Um Leo was a great uh, teammate. Malik was a great big time three point shooter. And Bando was a Swiss army knife. He did, he did so much. Um, he not only could guard fours and fives, but he could get out and guard the best players in the league. We, we really missed that part of his game too, because we have Jaden McDaniels right now. Who's that guy. Ant has become a better one-on-one -on -one defender. Torian Prince is, is a good team defender, but Bando he loved the challenge of taking those guys on. And then there's not a more relentless rebounder, offensive rebounder, defensive rebounder. And the thing that I said about Bando when he, um, Ryan Saunders was still the coach is that I compared him to Dennis Rodman because he's relentless like Rodman was. You know, he he just, you can't box him out. And then he has the athleticism if you do box him out 
to get around you and get a hand on the basketball and offensive rebound the basketball. So I think that's what fans are going to really fall in love with Vanderbilt because of, of all the dirty work that he's willing to do and is able to accomplish. Energy. They love the energy in the energy. building yeah. on Wednesday. He was yep. bouncing off the wall so much that he, he fouled out, but still they loved it. It gave Walker, <laughs> it gave Walker Kessler a moment so that he could be a rookie and get his first double double of the season. Before I let you, how go, about a double double for Walker Kessler that's on awesome. perfect shooting? First time that that's happened, according to Elias. Boom! There you go, Utah Jazz PR. There's your your plug for your Twitter. Before we let you go, John Stockton in Montana. You were mentioning before we started recording John Stockton <laughs> playing with him one on one on the circuit when you were yeah. getting ready out of college. What was that? Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, before we, we went to the NBA pre-draft camp, um, I was on a barnstorming team, you know, I, I got a call after my senior year was over and I was done playing. This is in the springtime. And I got a call that me and my college teammate, Roland Brooks, they asked us to come play on this team and we were going to play games in Montana. So we went to Malta, Montana and Lewistown, Montana, and we played six games or whatever, um, in, in each city in a tournament and I'm on this team and um, this kid named John Stockton's on our team. And I was telling you, JP, back in those days, this is 1984. So ESPN was kind of in, in its infancy. You know, you, you didn't see Gonzaga on TV very much in Minnesota. There were no draft experts tweeting out clips yeah, oh, of no. John Stockton. No, Marty Blake, Marty Blake was, if you look up Marty Blake, research Marty Blake, cause he okay. and his son, uh, they were the guys that basically did all of the analysis for the NBA draft back in those days. Um, I had no idea who John Stockton was. So, I mean, we're like, we're in uh, Lewistown, Montana. We're playing our first games together. We're, you know, we're on the court. We're kind of messing around at practice. And I start playing John Stockton as he's little, you know, I'm 6'10". And John Stockton's uh, 6'1", or whatever, six foot, whatever. He's small. So we're playing one-on-one. And he stripped the ball from me like four times in a row. I was like, who is this kid, man? Like he was so quick in his hands. And like he, and then he, you know, he'd strip it and then he'd dribble past me and lay it up. And then he'd shoot a jumper. And he would, he was, uh, and then in the games, he was so much fun to play with. He, I averaged the most points on the team in both of those two cities. And I played with John Stockton, man. He, he helped get me into the NBA, JP. I used to always tell him that. And I was telling you, too, I got a lot of love for the Jazz because back when I played for the Houston Rockets my first four years, I spent a lot of time with, with John and with Mark Eaton and with Mark Ivoroni and Bobby Hansen. Bobby Hansen and I played against each other in college. He played at Iowa when I was at Minnesota. Um, Thurl Bailey. I mean, just like the greatest group of guys. I even went out a couple of times uh, just one-on-one with Carl Malone. No, it's it was it's great memory. And um, I've, John and I have always been connected through that Lewistown, Montana, Malta, Montana experience. You know, it's like when it's almost like going into war together. We were in the foxhole. You know what I mean? You're like you're you're a band of brothers for life. And I'll always love John Stockton for that. Is there a easier pick and roll partner than John Stockton? That <laughs> no, you play with? no. Hey, no, it's you know, John Stockton and Akeem Olajuwon have a lot in common uh, because I think when they start talking about, you know, the, the best of all time. Um, and I've had this conversation with, with a bunch of guys over the years um, that played with and against Akeem Olajuwon. He gets shortchanged so much when they talk about the great players in the league. And if you if you talk to Michael Jordan, the only player that he feared uh, when he played in the NBA was Akeem Olajuwon. 
And I feel like the same is true with, with John Stockton. I feel like, I think he gets some credit, but he doesn't get enough credit with how great he was. And, um, and one of the things that you, that you got from John and from, and from Mayo for that matter, you look at their basketball reference page and you see the number of games they played 82, 82, 82, 81, 82. <laughs> I mean, uh, there was no load management with John Stockton and that kid was so durable. I mean, it was a different era. That would not happen today. I would, I can tell you for certain. <laughs> Lead analyst for the Wolves on the game broadcast. You can catch him on League Pass. He is Jim Peterson on the podcast on Round Ball Roundup. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you, JP.